Welcome to Unless the Lord Builds the House. My name is Pastor Roy Arismendis, and I'm here today with my special guest host, James St. Jean, and uh, and our very first guest on this podcast, Pastor Jerry Milliken. Pastor Jerry, welcome. Hey, good to be here. Good to yeah, be here. Really excited to have you here. We already had uh, so much good conversation. I figured I just need to hit the record button because yeah, we're probably going to want to go amen, back and listen amen. to some of this. But, uh, you know, this is our, 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 our second podcast and uh, I was explaining to Pastor Jerry earlier it's centered out of Psalms 127 unless the Lord builds the house those who build labor in vain and so the heart of the the podcast really is just is the issues of life you know and the principle of having Jesus be the architect of everything in our life whether it's our marriage our business our ministry our family our neighborhood outreach Jesus has to be at the center of those things and so when I think about the men that I know, you know, I mean, there's, there's men that I've, I've know who have passed away that were just God fearing men, you know, that set that standard high. But when I think about men that are living today that I could look at and I could say, man, this guy's the real deal. Like Jesus has built this house. I say, pastor, you're top of that list. Amen. You're top of that list. And Don't give so, me start um, crying. Here, yeah. <laughs> I was already getting a little teary out here. It's just yeah. been a, it's been a tremendous honor really yeah. to just yeah. to watch the Lord operate yeah. in your life even um even just via facebook you yeah. know we don't live yeah. in the same state we get yeah. to hang out a couple times a year sometimes if yeah. god yeah. willing you know yeah. we get to do those things but yeah. uh it's just the testimony of jesus in your life the the you know my wife said this the other day she's like you know when we go to a when we showed up at the service the revival services we've been doing at the church that you're that you're leading she's like man the presence of god is there mm. you know the first night the presence of god is there and it's not that god's not there on a normal sunday yeah but there's something about a heart on fire for jesus mm. a man of god shows up and invokes that and provokes that out of people and that tangible presence of god has just been so real mm. and heavy there the last few days i'm so excited to see what's going to happen the remainder of this week but kind of on that note as a man of god as 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 a as a pastor as an evangelist now that you're you're going you've been traveling and, and preaching the word um h- how did all that start and you know i mean there's going to be people now granted we i don't have the hugest following now in fact i don't even know if my mom follows the podcast <laughs> <laughs> your mom's not following you that's pretty she will yeah. though at some point yeah. but uh but how did all that start because I, I know you know when let's just say this is just for posterity and 50 years from now if the lord terry somebody comes across this on youtube and this could minister to them. So I believe it's, it's, you know, we overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. But, you know, the long and the short of it, where'd you come from? How'd the Lord save you? How'd you get to this spot? Well, oh boy, uh, I can give a long version or a short version. So, but um, basically, um, uh, my mother uh, got married uh, at a very young age. She moved out of state. Uh, and shortly after uh, they were married, uh, she got pregnant, and she found out some things about my my biological father. They began to argue, you know, like some young couples, and my dad just didn't want any part of it anymore. So um, he come home one day and said, I need you to pack your bags. You know, our marriage is over. And, you know, my mother, she come from a background of, you know, well, let's make our marriage work. And uh, so she said, well, what are we going to do? 
about our baby? And his reply was, is I don't know what you're going to do about your baby. And so, you know, I I always say that I felt rejection literally before I was even born. And uh, so my mother moved in with her parents um, when I was born. Um, my grandfather became my father figure. You know, he was a um, he was a character. I loved my granddaddy very much, and had a real strong work ethic. There were some things that I gleaned from his life uh, that I still have to this very day. Uh, my mother remarried, and uh, when she remarried, um, uh, my stepfather asked me if I wanted to be adopted because my real father had nothing to do with me. And uh, so, uh, me as a young boy, you know, I wanted a dad. You know, I needed. A dad and uh you know you've heard the story and they live happily ever after and uh what happened was is when he adopted me uh i didn't realize but he had a lot of internal issues he was a very angry man uh and so we grew up all of my siblings and my mother grew up in a very um, dysfunctional and really bad home Uh, all the childhood memories that i have are horrible to say the least and so it scarred me you know it was traumatic to me Uh, and because of that i started doing drugs wound up doing drugs at a very young age uh, and then I got connected with a guy that was selling drugs uh, and so he trusted me to sell a little drugs on the side to make up what I was using and uh, you know one thing always leads to another and uh, so I wound up becoming a uh, drug dealer I just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger um, and then uh, my wife when I married my wife at a very young age and it was you know sex drugs and rock and roll you know and um you know we'd have a party every night people pack the house and we just party 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 uh but you know if you party any lengthy period of time the party will eventually get old right you know sin is only fun for a season and uh, my season was coming to an end my fun it wasn't fun anymore uh, i wound up getting busted uh, I was facing uh, seven years of prison. I was set up by a GBI, and uh, so and I was just so full of, of rage and anger myself. I was constantly getting in fights, uh, just my whole life. And so, uh, lo and behold, I come home one day, had a six pack under my arm and a joint in my mouth, smoking pot. And my wife met me at the door, and she was holding our youngest child, and she said, "Jerry, I never told you this." But when I was eight years old, I gave my life to Jesus, and I got saved, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that was new to me uh, because I wasn't raised in church. I didn't believe in God. I thought the Bible was stupid. You know, I thought if you were religious, you were just, you know, too old that you didn't have anything else better to do. Uh, But uh, she told me, Jerry, I rededicated my life to God sitting in our living room watching a Christian television program. And, uh, and she said, God has changed my life. Wow. And uh, that was an understatement, Roy, because uh, her life done a complete 180. I mean, she, you know, I, and I literally saw it with my own eyes. And so I could not deny the fact of this incredible change in her life. Uh, and so um, she had, uh, she started putting me on every prayer list. I was on every prayer list in all of Floyd County in Rome, Georgia. <laughs> and um, my mother had gotten saved during this time. I had a very godly mother-in-law. And I always say, if you get a, if you get a godly wife and a godly mother and a godly mother-in-law, 
you may as well get saved. You'll right. get saved out of self-defense. <laughs> and so uh, I was un- I was starting to get under conviction, even even though I didn't know what it was. And uh, so uh, I went to. Uh, she asked me. She said, "Jerry, I'm getting baptized. Would you go?" And um, you know that was during the days of Jim Jones. You know mm-hmm. that whole story of Jim right. Jones. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, she's in a cult, and they're gonna make her drink Kool Aid, and they're gonna kill her. You know, <laughs> so I gotta go protect her. Right. And uh, so I went to this church, and it was my first time in a Pentecostal church. And um, I sat there, and I watched them lift their hands toward the heaven. I watched tears stream down their face, and I thought, boy, they've really got their act together. I wonder what they're on. You know, this is a good show. But the more I looked at them, the more I saw their eyes, the more I knew this may be real. This may be real. And so while the service was going on, I was reasoning with myself and I I was trying to deal with the conviction that was coming on me in a very heavy way. Uh, Now, mind you, uh, I I think I had spirits in me. I was evil. I was mean. I was messed up. And uh, all of a sudden, God broke through all of my deception and said, I sent my son to die for you. And if you will repent and believe me, I will change your life forever. And when I heard those words, I immediately threw my hands up in the air and I went, God! I just screamed the name of God as loud as I could. And when I screamed his name, all of the bitterness, all of the addiction, all of the anger, everything in my life uh, just began to literally fall. And I started shaking under the power of Almighty God. It was like I stuck my finger in a 220 light socket. I couldn't control the shaking that was going on. It was almost like God was saying, you know what? I'm going to make a believer out of you. You're going to know that I'm real when I get through changing you. And uh, somewhat, my mother got up and she couldn't believe what was going on. She led me to the altar and the pastor, he had one of those jumbo bottles of olive oil. It wasn't a small bottle. It was a big (laughs) bottle. And this is honest what happened. He took the lid off of it and he dumped it on my head. He <laughs> said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And oil was just dripping down my head. And I was crying and begging God to save me and please forgive me. And um, I stayed down at that altar. I don't know how long. I know it was a long time. And when I got up, Roy, I was a brand new person. Wow, praise the Lord. I, I, let me tell you what happened, though. I stood up, and I preached my very first sermon, and I didn't even know it. I looked at that congregation, and I, I done this right here. I said, what in the world? I said, it's like somebody has took a scrub brush and scrubbed my guts out. I feel so <laughs> clean in my guts and stuff. And all of a sudden, I started jumping up and down, just jumping up and down. I mean, and I said, I feel like a 1,000 pounds has been lifted off of me. And then I began to look at the building, and I go, why in the world is it so bright in here? Do y'all see how bright? Who in the world turned the lights on in here? Well, see, I didn't know it, but I was explaining that old things had passed away and all things had become new. Wow. Praise That's God. awesome. Praise the Lord. And what, what year was that? How long ago was that? Oh, my. 1979. No, 1980. 1980. Okay. Yeah. So I was three years old. 1980. Yeah, the 80s. 1980. Wow. And, and you were how old at that time? Uh, I was in my 20s. Yeah, yeah early 20s. 20s early 20s. 20, 21. 
And so it, it's interesting because people will say, you know, um, we've come across in ministry that, well, I've, I've read the Bible, you know, well, I've, I've gone to church, I've done these things, and yet have never had an encounter like that. Yeah. Never experienced that. And so w- what made the difference that day for you, do you think? What was the, the tipping point? Was, was it, were you, did, were you feeling the conviction prior to that because of your wife's conversion? I was. Okay. I was. And I, a matter of fact, I was making drug deals behind, you know, closed doors and away. Uh, I felt guilty and bad. I think another turning point is when, um, and I hope I don't get all teary eyed here, Roy, but I looked at my daughter. She was just a little baby and she was laying there in that crib, her little bitty beautiful eyes and that little blonde hair. And all of a sudden I looked at her and she looked deep in my eyes as a little small child. And all of a sudden this voice come to me and said, is this the kind of life that you really want to live? Is this the way you really want to live? Is this the life that you're going to offer this child? You know, and it was God just questioning me. Uh, It was this inner knowing that, you know, my conscience was bearing witness to what God was telling me. I mean, and I I didn't know any of that. I didn't know. I was oblivious to it. But uh, I, I, I was just coming to a point to where I knew that if something didn't happen, I was going to die. Right. I would not have lived long, Roy. Mm-hmm. I would have died. Wow. I mean, the wages of sin is death. Oh, my. Sometimes immediate, sometimes yeah. it takes a minute, yeah. but nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, man, that's just a powerful testimony. You know, um, people say, well, those the road to Damascus experiences, stuff like that doesn't happen anymore, but oh, it does. Oh, it my. happens. It did for and me. And I, I think what people are often looking for is some type, some, um, a production rather than an introduction you know and so we know that's the goodness of god that brings people to repentance and so i i've learned that even when i was rebellious in my 20s and in my 30s i really didn't get right with the lord till i was 36 35 yeah. i met pt when i was 35 yeah, yeah. and i got I came mm. back to that and i grew up religious yeah and so i was in that 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 um that group of people that was waiting for a lightning bolt from heaven yeah. You know, I was, quote, unquote, a functioning alcoholic for many years. Yeah. If you could even call it that. I mean, I was yeah. dysfunctional at yeah. best. Yeah. And uh, I remember going to church in and out of that time, serving at a church yeah. for a number of years, yeah. hung over on a Sunday morning leading worship, you know, yeah. and really thinking to myself that I was waiting for that, for that moment. Okay, well, when, when God's done with this section of my life, he'll zap me from heaven yeah, yeah. and I'll suddenly stop wanting yeah, to do yeah. all these things. Yeah. And that's not how it, how it works. Yeah. You know, he... In his mercy, looking back on it now, and so I can get teary-eyed because I see all the times in my 20s and into my 30s that I was on the brink of death, yeah. destruction, yeah. jail, whatever, yeah. you know, and the goodness of God kept drawing me back from yeah. those things and yeah. trying to minister to my heart. But the hardness of my heart wouldn't allow that in. Yeah. And so I had put God into a corner of, well, unless you perform this magic trick for me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to fully surrender to you. Yeah. And we see that so prevalent in today's culture. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they're raising their fist at God, demanding he perform another trick yeah. Yeah. when he doesn't, he's not our, our lapdog, yeah. you yeah. know? And so it's a sad state of affairs that we see that yeah. the church in that now, many people that are professing Christians that continue to serve, that continue to go to church, attempting to serve the Lord, but really looking to him just as a spiritual Santa Claus or yeah. the genie in the bottle, trying to get their best life now. Yeah, I heard a statement, Roy, years ago, and uh, it's kind of old Southern statement. Um, Any old dead fish can float down the stream, <laughs> but it really- takes a live fish to swim upstream. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we all have to get to that place in our life 
where we do what's right. And sometimes it may be difficult to do what's right. Uh, one person said that I'd rather stand with God in the minority than to stand with a crowd uh, it, with uh, with falsehood, and so you know, doing the right thing. Just keep doing the right thing. Do what you know to do, and uh, you know, it, it, the scripture said that if you come to Him, He will in no wise cast you out. Scripture said that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And uh, if people if people understood that, even people that don't even know Christ, if they could really understand the fact that God yearns to know them, that they were created and they were born to belong to God. They were born to belong to God. The moment that they uh, come out of their mother's womb, they start this journey and this endless search of trying to find God, but they don't know it. Wow. They don't know it. And that's where you and I come in, yeah. James, is that we're pointing the way. We're saying, hey, we know what you're looking for. Even if you don't know it, we know what you're looking for. Amen. You are looking for God. Amen. So that's it. James? Amen. No, that that's all really, really good stuff. And, and I think... Um, um, I know like in my life, like, you know, you had that experience where, you know, you're at the church, Lord really showed up. I grew up in church my whole life. So I'm like one of those, I have a very opposite testimony. A lot of people where, um, grew up in church. I mean, I, I was born and probably the, that first Sunday I'm in church <laughs> mm-hmm. and so grew up that way. But I, I know for me, um, um, very similar to pastor Roy, you know, all through my childhood years, you know, I had the Lord show up, do some things, speak to me. But especially as you get older, you expect, I think, the Lord to just do something. And, you know, I always think of James, you know, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And so and I think we see a lot of times on the street, uh, you meet a lot of nice people, a lot of people claiming to be Christians, but they never understand that. Well, you have to draw near to God. And so he'll draw near to you. Instead, they're like, well, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to expect God just to do a 180 in my life and never have to put any work, any effort. Like when it's God's timing, well, he'll just change me all of a sudden, uh, almost like a fairy tale thing instead of, well, it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. His grace is working to bring us to that place. And so that way we can respond to it through faith, through repentance and have a transformation. And I know for my life, like when I really got born again, I mean, it was like you were kind of that, that surrender. I mean, that was the first time I was like, God, I'm all in. I'm giving you everything and never been the same. I've been the same. Well, you know, I, I, I worked with a guy one time um, when I was working with Terminex. He was a, you know, self-professing atheist, but I knew that was a sham. Yeah. He's actually a pretty nice guy, but he's a real tough exterior. And so he didn't work in my department at the time. He worked in another department with some other friends of ours who were believers. Mm-hmm. A couple of guys you might you, you remember. And um, he loved ribbing those guys. You know, mm-hmm. and so he would always try to try to push their buttons, you know, uh-huh. to get them in some type of debates. And he'd he'd go and study and get Google mm-hmm. research and come yeah, back. And yeah, he was yeah. just that type of guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, he got injured and he ended up having to come work, mm-hmm. kind of tag along with me because they, yeah. they needed to continue to pay him. So he yeah. rode with me for about a month. And uh, right away, right off the bat, he just lays into me on the first day, really starts poking at me. But I just didn't take the bait. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know who Jesus is in my life and I didn't feel the need to have to validate Jesus. Yeah. He validated himself. You know, yeah, I testify, yeah. you know, and so I testify a fact. And that's what I told him. I said, I'm not here to debate with you. Yeah. I'm giving you fact. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What you do with that is up to you. And so we kind of settled that the first day and we just had a just very nice conversations for that mm-hmm. whole month. Mm-hmm. Real civil, never really got mm-hmm. heated. And, uh, you know, at the end of that, 
at the end of that month or so, right before he got transferred out of there, he um, he said, man, I've been riding with you for about a month now. And he's like, I've heard your story. Okay, I get mm-hmm. it. Now, you were this way. Yeah. Now you're that way. And he's like, yeah. but I've, I've, I've never had an alcohol problem. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not a drug addict. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've never... You know, I don't, I'm not dealing with all that stuff, which I knew mm. some of that was a lie, Yeah. but I said, okay. And he's like, so why would I need, why would I need Jesus? I don't have any of those problems. Mm. Yeah. And I said, well, man, the, the, the word of God's dialed up, especially for you. Cause he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit and who just realize their need for God. I think one of the translation actually mm. says that I took mm. him to that. I think it might be the NLT it says, blessed are those who just realize their need for God. I said, man, it's actually a greater responsibility on you because mm. you don't, quote unquote have a need yeah but man there's a blessing that is going to come to those who just simply realize that they need god and it was just a really interesting time with that guy and i remember at the end of it he he thanked me and he said man out of all these guys that i've I've talked with he's like i've really enjoyed the time with you the best and so i I think it really just comes that to that revelation you have to have a revelation that you need jesus and so yeah we you don't always need a a rock bottom experience in fact i recommend against rock bottom experiences (laughs) i think one of the biggest things that we've learned underneath our our you know ministry is we have these men of God like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never sold drugs. I've never been a drug. You know, yeah, I, I don't yeah. want to go through that. Yeah, I, I, no, I want right. to take your word for it that that path was learn was from lead, my mistakes. Yeah, was leading to hell. And uh, instead, I want to glean from you the things that I have seen produce yeah. godliness yeah. and holiness in yeah. your life. And so, yeah, it's such a reverse, you know, uh, yeah. way of thinking. As most people think mm-hmm. that you have to go through some traumatic experience, you have to, you know, have this major hurdle to overcome, mm-hmm. so Jesus can save you out of that. Yeah. Uh, he didn't die and i don't think people get this he didn't die just to save us from circumstances he yeah. he died to save us from our nature yeah from who we yeah. were inwardly mm-hmm. and we could have it all together mm-hmm. on the outside like i said james grew up in church yeah and i remember meeting james and this is really you know i i've got you know a, a bird's eye view in this guy's mm-hmm. life i mean i've seen a dramatic transformation every bit as impressive mm-hmm. as a drug dealer now yeah I now being a hope dealer yeah yeah and he never mm. smoked a cigarette in his life. He's never been drunk once. Yeah, yeah. You know, never. I, he's probably maybe broken the speed limit a couple of times. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. but I saw a change mm. in his life yeah. when he surrendered to Jesus because mm. it didn't change what he was doing. It changed who he was. Yeah. He was already going to church. He was already yeah. going to the streets, doing mm. all these things, man. But God came in and just transformed his heart. Mm. And so there's such an amazing grace there available for people if yeah. they could only realize their need for God. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, the problem is, is um, and this has been my experience, it's easier to convince someone who believes that they're bad that they are bad Mm -hmm. but it's harder to convince someone who believes that they're good that they're really bad it's harder to Mm -hmm. do that and um, you know there is this prevailing spirit in our nation and it's called self-righteousness 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 really is the epitome of a Pharisee spirit. It's like a Pharisee, a spirit of Phariseeism. And so when you're out on the streets, and this has been my experience for my whole life since I've been saved, is that when you start talking to people about God, they immediately want to, uh, you know, shore themselves up with how good they are and how good they are. And, and what they don't realize is that they're trampling the blood of Jesus right under their feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying that their own self-righteousness, their own set of morals and values, if they have any, uh, is better uh, than the finished work of the cross. Mm-hmm. And, and Scripture is clear about it, that all of our righteousness is as 
just filthy rags. I was talking to a doctor um, a few months back, uh, and this guy wasn't saved. He wasn't born again, but he was a doctor. You know, he uh, he was uh, you know he was elite. He was intelligent, and I told him, I said, look, I said, um, if you and I came up on each other, and I had um, uh, clothes on, and they were ragged and filthy and bloody and dirty. Um, how would you respond to that? You know, would I be appealing to you? Would I be, uh, you know, something, somebody that you want to be seen with or, you know, and uh, I said, and he goes, no, he said, I wouldn't even want to hang around with you at all. He said, I wouldn't want to have nothing to do with you at all. And I said, well, that's exactly what you've been doing this whole time. I said, the whole time we've been talking, all you have done is offer how good you are, how good. And I said, you have yet to see yourself the way God sees you. And God is saying, you're filthy, mm-hmm. you're dirty. You have to, you know, you, and that's why the law is so important with grace because you can't see yourself justified by God's grace mm-hmm. until you see yourself condemned by God's law. Good. The gospel mm-hmm. is good news, right. but what makes good news really look good is bad news. And so the last thing I want to do is go out and try to convince people of the good news whenever they haven't been convinced of the bad news yet. And so a person has to be convinced of their own bad news. they got to see themselves in the light of the fact is, hey, I have nothing to offer God. All of my right doings and my morals and values are as filthy rags, uh, you know, and that's why I need God. So mm-hmm. we need, you know, that person needs to see themselves in the same light as that heroin addict on the streets. Right. You know, uh, God is no respecter of persons here. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Roy, is conviction. Mm-hmm. What we need today is conviction in our land because true conviction always leads to true conversion. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need. Amen. So, Amen. Any thoughts on that, James? No, that's just really good stuff. <laughs> I can't really add much to it faster. Well, you, yeah. you covered the, it. Amen. Glory to God. There, there, there's, I mean, so many aspects, you know, to, like I said, conviction, the conversion, and then the ongoing progression of the spirit and, you know, of, of the transformation in your life. And that's something that, you know, I, I took me a minute to grasp, you know, like I said, yeah. in my 20s, into my 30s, I, I, I understood that I wasn't living like a Christian should live. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the full mm-hmm. understanding of the conversion. Once I got the conversion, I had to really start to get the understanding of the progression. Yeah, yeah. Because that's where I see a lot of people getting tripped up now. So we'll get people who have a genuine conversion, but they have no patience for the progression. Yeah. And so some things go right away. Yeah. You know, um, I, I quit drinking when I gave my heart back to the Lord, but the desire to drink didn't go for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I had to fight through that one. And so that taught me a lesson. I had to yeah. persevere through that. I had to abstain from that, even though yeah. I still had a desire for it and yeah. trust the Lord. Yeah for the grace to get through that and that he had actually take it away. And he did. And so, but then that just one thing on the list and he had, he'd bring healing in my heart. He had to restore some relationships. He, and so we see so many people just, you know, the word tells us that in the last days, you know, for fear, people's hearts would fail them. You know, people are just, they get so caught up in the things that are happening in the world. They lose focus on the progression of the work of the Holy spirit in their life or the walk of faith in their life. And the circumstances come in, just begin, like you said, the, the issues of life mm-hmm. just begin to kind of drown them out. And so, 
you know, I, I kind of agree in a sense with some of the yeah. tulip because there has yeah. to be a perseverance of the saints. I don't yeah. agree, obviously not yeah. a Calvinist, but yeah. I believe in the perseverance of the saints. Yeah. You know, yeah. there, there's a, a power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us persevere, yeah. to give us grace in time of need. Yeah. And so in your yeah. life of, of, of pastoring, of, of, of ministering, mm-hmm. um, how's that? How have you seen that? Have you seen mm-hmm. that evolve? Have you seen that? Was that was that a tough thing to really get across to a congregation? Did you have people? Did they get that right off the bat? Is that still something that you're constantly having to bring back? Like, like folks, hey, this is going to, you know, this is a walk. Yeah, yeah, this is a walk. Yeah, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a race. We're, we're, we're making yeah. progress here. Yeah. Some things just take time. Yeah, yeah. How, how big of an issue do you still see that out there today? I heard a statement years ago, Roy, that I never forgot, um, and it's this. The born-again experience is the miracle for the moment, but the making of a saint is the process of a lifetime. Amen. What a statement. What a right. statement. It's and good. so, yeah. you know, I, I tell people, I said, look, um, the, the main thing that God is interested in your life is are you headed in the right direction? You know, the illustration that I use is the prodigal son. Uh, when he came to himself and began to say, you know, what in the world am I doing? You know, I will arise and go back to my father's house. I promise you that that journey back home was a whole lot longer than that (laughs) journey uh, to the pig pen. It was a whole lot longer. And he had plenty of time to think about all the stuff that he had done. The biggest thing that he had done is he broke the heart of his father. Mm. And and I love this verse, Uh, y'all. No doubt that that father uh, sit on that porch, maybe in his chair, looking in that distant land, you know, waiting, hoping, praying, believing that his son would eventually come back home. And you know what? The Bible says that while the son was yet a great way off, (laughs) his father ran to him. He ran to him as if he was saying, you know, listen, you're headed in the right direction, and that's good enough for me. Right. You may be far away, but you're heading in the right Amen. direction, and I'm coming to you. You know, you take one step to God, and God will take five steps to you. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you have to be patient with yourself. Uh, you know, I, I believe in the doctrine of progressive sanctification. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe that when a person is uh, born again that they're instantly complete and totally sanctified it's a work that we're walking out you know we experience a positional sanctification but we have to work out what god has worked in our life uh and so uh you know our mind needs to be uh renewed and because you get saved don't mean your mind gets saved and not to interrupt but on that thought this is something that you know that the lord spoke and showed me right off the bat after recommitting or finally committing i guess at, at you know in my late 30s was that the fight didn't really be, I thought it had it tough up to that point. I thought yeah. I'd been battling against stuff. I mean, I, I had experienced severe depression, demonic oppression, yeah. seen apparition, all that stuff. You know, I, I know that the evil's real. I've seen it. Yeah. But coming out of that, then the Lord showed me that, that this was, that the fight was just beginning. Oh yeah. When I got saved. Mm. And so if more believers understood that, mm. you know, then we wouldn't have people turning as fast people would be digging their heels in and starting oh, yeah. to get, you know, yeah. you talked about it in your sermon last night, the, the, the spiritually fat, you know, yeah, yeah. kind of stigma thing that that's happening in the church today. People are fat. Yeah. They're lazy. Yeah. They're not working out their spiritual man. And yeah. so we know that 
the physical exercise profits yeah. in a little bit, but yeah. it's yeah. that spiritual strength that needs yeah. to be grown. The outward yeah. man perishes, but the spirit man's renewed daily. Yeah. And so I, the Lord showed me that right off the bat, like, hey, yeah. this is going to be a fight. Yeah. Like, oh, you're yeah. just getting started, That's and you right. better get ready for it. Yeah. And so, man, I, I just, I, I really, I think some of the way that we minister is, yeah. is really to, um, to, to be real with people. Yeah. yeah. I, I say it on the streets all the time when I preach on the mic that, Hey, coming to Je- serving Jesus is probably the hardest thing you're ever going to do yeah. in your life. But it's the best. I thing said, if, you'll uh, yeah, do. it's the best thing you ever do. And we'll get guys who come up, they buck up to you on the street and try to intimidate you and all of that. And I, I always tell them, say, Hey, you want to be tough? Yeah. Serve Jesus. Oh yeah. It takes yeah, a real man. What you made out of. <laughs> it takes a real man yep. to yep. say no to, to the flesh, say yes to him. It takes yeah. a real man to turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. It takes a real man to, to take the, the low road while somebody else takes that That's high exactly road. Right. And so the fight is on. Yeah. The yeah. fight is on. And yeah. we know that the enemy has not come to uh, take prisoners. Yeah. Yeah. He's come to kill. I can't wait to preach tonight, uh, Roy, because uh, what I'm going to share is the principle of believe, build, and battle. Uh, we need to incorporate those principles in our life, believe, build, and battle. And the enemy wants us to stop all three of those. And it's a constant believing, a constant building, and a constant battling. You know, um, if something is valuable, then that means it's worth something. And if something is worth something, then it's worth fighting for. You know, and the closer we get to God, the more valuable he becomes in our life. That's awesome. You know, he is very <laughs> valuable to me. Amen. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm digging my heels in and I'm fighting harder than I've ever fought in my life. Why? Because uh, it's worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's worth fighting for. God is on my side. Amen. He's Amen. fighting my battle. You know, if you try to live out this Christian life in the energy of your flesh, you are doomed for failure. Right. Uh, but if you will surrender and let the Holy Spirit work through you as a conduit, you will stand amazed at what God will do for your life. It's just amazing. Praise the Lord. And we were just talking before James came uh, while we were eating lunch. It's it's the trials of life, it's the issues of life that that the Lord uses to perfect your faith. And so I was sharing with Pastor Jerry a little bit just some of the struggles that we've gone through as a house, yeah, yeah. you know, trying to conceive for the last almost six years, yeah. and how my perspective on that six years ago mm-hmm. versus my perspective on it now has totally changed. Yeah, yeah. what was presenting itself as a curse at the beginning has started to really unfold as a blessing because man, the Lord has really challenged me on my trust, my faith, my hope, my position in him because I know what he's called me to. I I maybe don't know exactly where it might, it's going to end, but I know that it's moving forward and that this circumstance has come in to really either grow me or to allow myself to, to, to be totally derailed by it, by that. And so, you know, Praise the Lord that he's chosen these yeah. ways to work through our lives, that he's given us the ability to yeah. say no to sin, to say yes to him, mm-hmm. to take those thoughts captive, to use those issues as a springboard, yep, yep. you know, into the next season of our life, you know, and knowing that, and, and you hit it right on the head. He said something really profound that the Lord, you know, wants to minister through our scars. Oh yeah. And I mean, that really, that really got me, you Can know, I and something to that Roy, uh, if you take Jesus and what he went through, he went before the Sanhedrin. He was beaten so severely. It was horrible. When he was placed on the cross, he was literally unrecognizable. But do you realize brethren that when he was put in a tomb and when he rose from the dead, 
there was a few scars that he kept. Right. Yeah. There were a few scars that he kept. And so, you know, uh, when we go through things and we are wounded and when God heals us, we still may bear the scar. But the scar isn't a reminder um, of what happened to us. The scar should serve as a reminder of how God brought us through it. Amen. Yeah. You know, and so we, we, we look at it from that perspective. And uh, I heard a statement years ago that said, a Christian is like a tea bag. He's not worth much until he's been through a little hot water anyhow. <laughs> that's good. That's Hallelujah. Good. <laughs> that's good. Glory to God. And it's hot these days, that's for sure. Anyway, well, you know, there's so many things. Uh, yeah. I want to give James a chance if he had a couple of questions he wanted to throw at you. We'll call this the batting cage segment. Yeah. Just let him let him throw a couple down the middle because there's so many topics. Obviously, Pastor, yeah, you've had a, yeah, yeah. a tremendous um, testimony. Your walk with the Lord has had so many um, varying seasons mm-hmm. that I'm sure we could mm-hmm. glean from. But yeah. uh, is there anything specific, James? You wanted to ask him while we're here? We got him pinned down. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think um, one thing talking what we were talking on, especially when you got younger Christians or even um, you know I'm mid 20s um, whether it's a man or woman what were some of those early principles you know you being I mean having a long walk with the Lord now that you would say um, just early principles or things that happen in your life that God really spoke to you that just really laid such a foundation for you to just be the man who you are now when God created man he created man with physical senses uh, the senses to see, to taste, to hear, to touch. And just as our natural man has physical senses, our spiritual man has spiritual senses. The scripture says that we're to taste and see that the Lord is good. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So we see that parallel of the natural and the spiritual. And early in my walk with God, God showed me clearly that my relationship with him would be all about seeing something, hearing something, saying something, and doing something. And so I kept those principles. I always need to be hearing something, seeing something, saying something, and doing something. Uh, And so uh, my early walk with God, I was so open for God to speak to me. Uh, I had just an incredible flood of revelation continually coming into my life simply because I was hungry for it. I wanted God in my life. And so, you know, God showed me that, you know, I need to see him, uh, not uh, after the storm or not before the storm. I need to learn how to see him during the storm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, I need to see him in my season of blessing. I need to see him in my season of suffering. I just need to keep my eyes on God because he is the captain of my salvation. And uh, so, you know, it was um, it was just those principles, you know. I just uh, and I had good men around me. I had, you know, um, you know, you, you've been around a, a father and a son, and all of a sudden, somebody that don't even know you comes up to you and looks at your boy and say, 
is that your son? He looks just like you. Down south, we said, he looks like he spit you out of his mouth or something. <laughs> so you see that genetic tie there. Right. Uh, well, when we serve God, there's this spiritual tie. And so God uh, brings people in our life uh, that he uses to make deep deposits in our life. And they're gifts to us. They're gifts. They're gifts. And so, uh, you know, God knew uh, the call that was on my life. He knew that I would be in ministry, you know, a year after my conversion. I mean, full time, just, you know, he, he knew that he'd done a quick work in me, uh, to get me ready to do what I've been doing all these years. And, uh, I mean, I'm still growing. I'll always grow, but, um, my goodness, man, keep your eyes on God. Surround yourself with godly men. Allow these men to speak into your life. Stay in the Word. Stay on your knees. Uh, stay humble. Stay teachable. You know, see a person uh, up in their years uh, and to see their heart tender and to see their heart teachable is worth its weight in gold. And when I see a person who's tender and teachable, it lets me know that, God will have something to work with. You give God something to work with. So. Amen. Amen. Uh, another question. Um, I guess it's been a year and a half, two years ago, since we were there at the Gatlinburg Outreach, and you preached a very powerful sermon. I know I don't think none of us who were there for that have ever forgot it, but on the four cries. I mean, that was powerful. I remember at the end of it, too, you said, I hope this never leaves you. And I know I know for me, Pastor Rodney, it's never left. Even my brother, Pastor Tom, who's in Daytona, yeah. never left. I mean, we, we talk about it to this day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and especially, you know, being in Gatlinburg, we're all having such a good time. I'll never forget waking up that morning. was not expecting that. No. Yeah, that <laughs> I was mean, like totally a, wrecked. It was like yeah. a baseball bat yeah. to the spiritual yeah. head. Even now getting teary, <laughs> thinking about it. I mean, just yeah. we're just, man, yeah. just, yeah. I mean, what a time. Um I really hoping just to hear your heart behind. I mean, if you want to, I know, yeah. you, I know you can't give the whole sermon. Maybe we'll yeah. put a link to it. It's on YouTube yeah. on our Pastor yeah. Troy's page for anyone who wants to listen to yeah. it. But I really just wanted to hear the behind the scenes of you know yeah. where that yeah. where the heart of that everything came from. I don't know if that yeah. was years in the making or yeah. or some of the Lord deposited you one night. Because I mean, yeah. just to hear it from you. Yeah. Well, you know, back to what I said. Life, your walk with God is about hearing something, saying something, seeing something, and mm -hmm. doing something. And so you know. We really do have to have a, uh, a ear that's in tune with God. And the reason why is because there's so many voices out there that are trying to compete with the voice of God in our life. The further we are from God, the louder God has to be. The closer we are to God, he can speak to us in a still small voice. And that should be our goal. We want to be so close to God that all he has to do is speak to us in a still small voice. And so um, that message was formed out of my own prayer closet. You know, as I began to search the scriptures, uh, you know, God showed me uh, that there was some cries that, that, uh, that are so real uh, and they don't need to be ignored or neglected. Uh, and that is the cry from above, uh, the heart of God. It's the heart of God that all men are saved and come mm -hmm. to repentance. It's the heart of God uh, that uh, that the world know Him. There's a cry from the heart of God, and, and we need to hear that. We need yep. to hear God's heart's cry uh, for this dying world. Uh, and then there's the cry from below. Uh, there is a place called hell. There's a place of weeping and and wailing and gnashing of teeth. 
there's a place of eternal torment. Uh, and if we could catch a glimpse, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I was when I was on drugs, um, I was on blotter acid, and I was coming off of this acid, and um, I went up into my bedroom, and as I laid in my bed, I fell in my bed in slow motion. And a hand came out of the heavens, and it was an angel. An angel grabbed my hand and said, I'm taking you there for one minute. And so I went to hell. Now, I don't think it was the real hell, but, but I mean, I had a vision, a dream, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. Uh, and it shook me to my core. I later wrote it into a poem. Uh, and uh, because you know I like poems, but I, I wrote into a poem, and uh, I never forgot that. Even when I before I was saved, I never forgot that. So there's a cry. Uh, you know, if we could hear the cries from hell right now, our lives would be this different. If Christians, yeah. you know, when wow. I ask them, do you believe in hell? Oh yeah, I believe in hell. Yeah. I go, really, really. Does your life reflect that you do? If not, then who are you fooling? Right. And then the cry from uh, without. You know, there's a cry all around us, whether it's uh, Walmart or Dollar General or Bourbon Street. There's cries everywhere. And so we don't need to live in a Christian bubble. Uh, we need to be out and about and listening to the cries. Like uh, our dear Emerson said last night well, that the homeless guy, here he was reading his Bible and a homeless man knocking on his window. Right. You know, he heard that man's cry. So there's a cry all around us, a cry from above, a cry from below, a cry from without. And then the last one is the, is the cry from within. There should be a deep groaning in our soul as Paul had it when he stood on Mars Hill. Right. And, he, and his spirit was stirred inside of him. We need to have and hear those cries. We really do. And we don't ever need to forget about that. Amen. Amen. Ever. Amen. Yeah, it, it was one of those. It, it's, I would say it was one of those zingers. You know what yeah. I mean? That was one of those messages yeah. that just yeah. resonated. And, uh, you know, I I think kind of what James was, was saying in that question, too, is like, um, your process when you when you just to kind of clarify because I'm I'm interested in this myself yeah. too as a man who writes sermons yeah was was that something that was a work over time or was that you know man the Lord just brought you into the closet one day and that was you spit that, that out in an it. afternoon he brought me in the closet and that was it really and wow. put it together and yeah. so yeah it's that's yeah. that's so encouraging because yeah. you, you keep saying this you've said it many times that you know if we'll just incline our ear to God he'll speak to us oh yeah and so I I think you know and this might be you know, to other preachers who listen to this, ministers who listen to this, you know, sometimes we can mind, mind trick ourselves if, if we don't, if you're not spending 30 days on a sermon, if you haven't, yeah. you just yeah. need to hear God. That's if it. you don't have 15 points and you can't cross-reference a bunch That's of this it. stuff. And I, I think what I enjoy so much about this revival mm. so far that we've yeah. already had several nights of yeah. and we're going into a couple more is really just the, um, the, the ease at which you've delivered the messages and yeah. they're able to be received. And by that, I just, I, you know, I don't mean soft messages by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Yeah. These are, these are tough mm. words. These are, these yeah. are weighty words, yeah. but there's just an ease that they come, that they're delivered mm -hmm. with to, you know, I don't feel that there's a person in there, whether they just got saved yesterday or they yeah. were getting saved last night, which mm. I think a couple of people raised their hands to, yeah. ex to accept Jesus or recommit. I don't think there's a person in there that, 
that walked out of there that could have walked out of there with not understanding what happened what yeah. was what was being preached it's and coming said. from my heart Roy. and so it's it's the word of god implanted in a man yeah. and then just simply dispensed yeah. through yeah. his mouth someone said something one time that a message that's born in the head goes to the head but a message that's birthed in the heart goes to the heart. And when I preach, I have some objectives. I really do. Every time I preach, I, ha I always ask myself. Years ago, I heard a statement that says, most preachers are answering questions that no one is asking. And I thought, wow. I don't want to be that, that, that preacher. And so when I preach, uh, I want to do a few things. Number one is uh, I want you to think about what I'm saying. I want it to appeal to your intellect. I want it to, you know, because we do have a mind, and it plays an important role. So I want to appeal to your intellect. I want to get you thinking. And then the second is uh, feeling. I want you to feel something i want you to think something i, I want to connect with your emotions we are emotional beings right yeah uh, you know i'll never forget a, a a story i heard of a preacher who went to a hollywood movie producer and he said how is it that you can produce movies and get actors and have all these props how come you can do this and people watch a movie on a screen knowing that it's not even real it's all fake and yet it makes them laugh it makes them cry it takes them on a journey and all of a sudden the movie producer leaned over and looked at the preacher and said well the answer to that is easy he said we preach fiction as reality you preach reality as fiction Wow. <laughs> and I thought to myself, wow. oh, my, how we need real preachers today, yeah. preachers that lock themselves up away with God and meet with him and talk to him and pour their heart out to him and let him pour his heart into you. And uh, there's just the things that comes out of our prayer closet is short of miraculous. So I want people to think, I want people to feel, and then the third one is I want them to do something. A message that doesn't require something isn't a message at all. You've got to require something. So, you know, that's what I do. I want people to think, I want people to feel, and I want them to do something. And that's that's gold. That's gold for me right there because, you know, I mean, as, as a, you said, you know, writing sermons, preaching regularly every week. Yeah. Um, it, it was a challenge to to get over myself and realize yeah. that it, it's not about my um, my abilities to orate, my charisma. Boom. That if I really draw, like James said, if I'm drawing near to the Lord, then you He's going to draw word. near to me, and He's going to have something to say. And I've seen that happening. You know, I was, I was talking to Pastor Jerry earlier about ministering in the jails and how the Lord's really just <clears throat> given me a heart and brokenness for these sex offenders <clears throat> out, you know, yeah. up on the fourth floor. I mean, these are the guys that, you know, are just despised because yeah, yeah. The, these are ex-deacons, these are coaches, these are teachers, these yeah. were respected men at some point. You can see the shame, yeah, yeah. you know, that clouds them. Yeah. And I said, you know, Lord, I, I want to be able to see people the way that you see them. I want to be able yeah. to minister to that hurt inside of them because I know there's something valuable still mm -hmm. left. That's why mm -hmm. you sent me here. And, uh, and so I've seen so much growth in myself, yeah. just just letting go of of my uh, my thought process on what I thought a sermon needed to be, yeah. you know, and just yeah. saying, Lord, you got to speak to me and speak through me. And some really, really powerful times, simple words yeah. that have yeah. gone forth there that, yeah. I mean, literally these guys are hugging me, yeah. Yeah. you know, just th yeah. they're thanking me for my time yeah. for being yeah. there. Well. You know, when it's a reality, they understand I don't have to be there. I'm not court appointed. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, man, Lord, truly, you're amazing. You I want to tell you I mean? one more story and then I'll hush. Uh, 
I, I'll never forget this. I heard the story of a, of a, a the group of people wanted to put together a play. It was a big play. There was a lot of people there. Uh, and there was a glitch in it because uh, they had had on the list of the play that a man get up there uh, and read the, or a boy, I'm sorry, a boy get up there and read the 23rd Psalm. And so he got up there at his time uh, and read the 23rd Psalm. And as he was reading it, uh, the young fella, uh, people was yawning. Uh, they were you know, couldn't wait for him to get through. It didn't touch him. It didn't affect him at all. Uh, and then um, they asked this older guy at the very end to close everything out. And so when it came time to close everything out, he didn't open his Bible, but instead he quoted the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> and when he got through saying it, everybody was weeping and crying and they didn't know they, they couldn't understand that and so one person out of curiosity went to another guy and said why is it that that young boy stood up and read the 23rd psalm and the old man quoted the 23rd psalm but yet it produced two different responses and the guy said oh that's simple um the young boy read the bible the older fella knew the shepherd right wow that's good he knew the shepherd oh praise the lord amen well pastor i mean it feels like we could, we've already been an hour we could yeah. probably go all oh, day yeah. but thank amen. you so much for your amen. time i God mean bless you. i'm really looking forward to um continuing to be amen. able to minister alongside you amen. whether it's on the mean streets of gatlinburg yeah, or yeah. or here in the french quarter yeah, um yeah. such a privilege so, and an honor amen. to have you be a part of our fellowship Same here, here and so how can people find you online they wanted to donate or help. uh the our website is www.jerrymministries so just j-e-r-r-y-m and then ministries.org so it's jerrymministries.org so amen all right i'll put a link in there yeah, and yeah, so i yeah. mean I, I i love you know supporting men who are out there yeah. actually getting the work done, yeah, you yeah, know, um, yeah. seen tremendous yeah. fruit from this Amen. already. And Amen. thank you for just Amen. pouring into us. Yes. Amen. Thank you. It's, it's thank you so a, much. It's been a privilege and an honor. Thank you. Until next time, this is pastor Roy here with, unless the Lord builds the house, reminding you to keep your eyes on the prize and your knees on the ground. God bless. Thank you.